Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I am David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. How you doing? Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. So you got a sore throat going here. I sure do. Woke up with it this morning and uh, powered through my day in the hockey game and stuff, but it's starting to go away as we get later into the evening. Having a lemon tea here to to uh, try and power through this podcast. All right. Yeah, we're all going to have to get used to getting colds again. I mean, as the world opens up, as as it is slowly here, and we're all going to get colds again, which I haven't had a cold in since since the month before COVID started, when I had a terrible cold, which might have been COVID. But uh, I have had nothing since then. Bruce, a great game tonight from the Oilers in a lot of ways. And they won against a tough team. It's interesting. They beat the tough teams, St. Louis and Boston, and they've lost to they've lost to uh, Detroit and Buffalo, you know, teams that haven't done so well in recent years. But uh, the Oilers uh, won on the strength of some great offensive play and some great net mining. We'll get into both in our Two Good Things, Two Bad Things, and Two Numbers podcast because it's an Oilers win. We'll go with two good things each. Do you want to start us, start us off, Bruce? Sure. I'll start with the great net mining which was the foundation of Edmonton's success tonight. Uh, Mikko Koskinen, for all that he'd allowed four goals on 39 shots for an 897 save percentage. That's not, it won't even get recorded as a quality start by the newfangled uh, stat. But believe you me, that was a high quality start for Mikko Koskinen and the difference between his team winning or losing that game. Uh, I thought he was uh, outstanding just to keep him in the game in the first period when they were getting slaughtered by uh, uh, St. Louis pressure, especially on the power play where they got three power plays in a row. And just some marvelous saves. Uh, the three-save sequence off of Brandon Sad on the power play, second power play, is as good as uh, a sequence of net mining as I've seen all season. Three great saves in a row getting his pad down on the deflection, getting his toe out on the first rebound, and then laying full out and getting his paddle down on the second one, and then somehow controlling the puck that could have bounced off him and still gone in and getting a hold of that rascal to uh, get the whistle. That was just a breathtaking sequence. Uh, But far from the only great saves that he made on this night, I thought uh, uh, he was left to his own devices a few times. None bigger than with a minute to go in regulation when he stopped Ryan O'Reilly on a eyeball to eyeball from the edge of the crease uh, one-timer. Huge save to keep the score at that time tied 4-4. Four to four. And, of course, the Oilers would come down on the subsequent rush and score the game winner themselves for the 5-4 victory in regulation. Bruce Weirt. I, I, I'm trying to, uh, now and then, I'm trying to track the five alarm shots, which are, you know, the grade A scoring chance shots, which probably would go in more than a third of the time, like a 33% chance of going in. And tonight I tracked eight of them, seven by the Blues and one by the Oilers. So, uh, and that's not, I'm not tracking it faithfully though. So I might've missed, I might've missed some, but nonetheless, that's seven by the Blues that I did track. Koskinen only landed one of those shots, uh, the power play one-timer. He saved every single other one of those shots. And so the Oilers have been plagued, or not plagued, it's too strong a word. The, the Oilers goalies have been outplayed 
in recent games. And it's and it's a reason the Oilers have not done as well in recent games. Koskinen's hit a bit of a trough. Skinner wasn't great in his start. Koskinen won this game tonight um, for the Edmonton Oilers. He really did. He was outstanding and good for him. Just when they needed it. Just when they needed him to give the team a bit of confidence with some good goaltending as opposed to mediocre goaltending, he came through. Bruce, I'll... Uh, I'll go. My good thing will be the Ed, the NHL's early season MVP, Leon Draisaitl. He's crushing it, Bruce. He's never played better. He is crushing it at both ends of the ice. His defensive play is solid, especially when he's with Yamamoto, who's such a great uh, glue player on defense and covers for him when when needs be. But he is he's been doing well defensively, and um, on the attack. He's just he's just such a beast. I mean, I'm just going to go through the scoring plays that he was involved in. Let me just find them here. 29 PPF. That's the first one. Um, the first power play goal, the power play goal that Drysaddle scored. I mean, McDavid wheels into the slot area, and he passes it low to Drysaddle, who's way out at the bottom of the circle. Most people shooting from there, it's not a grade A chance, Bruce. Drysaddle shooting from there is a five alarm chance. He sh- he drains 33% of those shots, plus 33 <laughs> about 33% of, and I call it the executioner shot. Yep. You know, just the way he wields that stick like a scythe, chopping chopping it, <laughs> hacking at that goalie, hacking at the puck. Great screen by Zach Hyman on the play as well, and. Um, you know, he he Dreisaitl's amazing how he gets off that shot and it and it's so lethal. It's so quick. Mm-hmm. And his eyes must be up because he's always picking the spot. He's always picking the right spot with it. It's, it's not like he's head head down plowing at the net. He's he's gotta be looking because he hits the right spot so often. And um I maybe I'm wrong because I've heard a lot of great shooters say they don't look. They just like I think it was Brett Hall who says he didn't look. He just had a feel for it. He he would get to the spot and he'd shoot without looking. Maybe Drysaddle's the same. He's not looking, but man, does he ever hit the spot for Oilers fans and in terms of hitting the net uh, each time. All right, let's go to the. Uh, well, this was next. his 14th game of the season and his eighth three point game, three plus point game. Eight out of fourteen games with three points. He's he's already got, he only got one goal tonight. Only he's had six two goal games. They said on the broadcast, no one else in the NHL has more than two. Leon Drysaddle has six. Like he's just in another league right now. Like he's he's uh, he's just playing phenomenal. The NHL hasn't had a player like this since Phil Esposito. Mm-hmm. Like it plays this style of hockey. Plays this way. He's the closest thing. And Esposito led the league in scoring, right? Leon Dreisaitl's averaging 2.21 points per game right now. Ahead of McDavid at 1.93. It's astonishing. He's the runaway leader. He's got 31 points in 14 games. Next is McDavid with 27 in 14 games. So, wow. 27 Um, 28. Anyway, uh, I'll draw a more recent comparable in Peter Forsberg. But that's a pretty See, high compliment. He's, I don't really... Forsberg played in such a different style to me than... Dry, like, I know the puck protection. You could say Yager. You could yeah. say, like, in terms of that kind of puck protection. But 
I don't know. Forbes, it doesn't, he doesn't really remind me of Forsberg. Forsberg was more of a fluid player, whereas Drysdale is a kind of a tower of power. So Yamamoto, uh, the next the next scoring play was Yamamoto keeping the puck in on the boards. Great jumping for the puck and gets it downloaded to Drysdale, who who does the old low high pass. The low high pass is an extremely deadly play in the NHL, and it's because uh, when you when you have the puck down low, the goalie has got to stay on the goal line. You pass it quickly out, and there's a quick shot. He's on the goal line. He's not in a great position to make that save. So that low high. Um, Scorched the Oilers a few times, and here it scorched the Blues because uh, Drysaddle got it quickly to Nugent Hopkins, who got off the shot quickly through a screen, bam, in the net. And of course, the dynamite line capped it all off, Bruce, um, with uh, Drysaddle setting up Yamamoto. And it was, it was, I think actually Drysaddle was coming on the wing, and the puck was slashed off his stick, and he he turns around to retrieve it, and then spots Yamamoto, whips it over, and. Um, I'll leave the I'll leave the finish to you since I know what your next good thing is. But that was a hell of a pass by Drysaddle. You know, just the quick um, pickup, visual pickup of the player there, and just the the quick pass, the quick stop too. The quick stop. This is such it's such a treat to see this guy play right now. He's uh, well, like I keep saying, he's the NHL's early season MVP, best player in the league right now, and I don't think it's that close. Go ahead. Your next good right. thing. I'm going to pick both of Leon's wingers on the dynamite line. <clears throat> Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Kyrie Yamamoto. It was weird. All year they were going, neither guy's got a goal. And Leon's playing center and he's this, he's this sublime playmaker. You'd expect his wingers to be filling the net. And they weren't. Well, they filled it tonight with a goal each. And uh, uh, I thought Nugent Hopkins, this was his best game of the season. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was all over the puck. Uh, he was jumping. Uh, you could see Jack Michaels called it that he was going to get his first goal tonight, and he got it. He said it a couple times, and then he scored right after, and he earned it just on the basis of tonight's play alone, with eight shots on net and no misses. Like he didn't, he didn't have any blocked or any that missed the target. He, he attempted eight shots, and all of them were on goal. <clears throat> and the one that scored was just a quick release. Uh, right through a screen, right through the goalie. And I don't think Bennington ever saw it. And uh, But he knew, I mean, he made a great play on the penalty kill where he stole the puck uh, in his own territory and he burst away. Uh, Hyman jumped up to join him. And uh, he, he looked to Hyman, but he made, to me, the right play. I don't like passing on a two-on-one on the penalty kill unless you're sure, because if it goes astray... It can be a quick four on two the other way. And instead, he took it right to the doorstep and he tried to jam it from just about inside the blue paint. And and he drew a penalty on that play. In fact, he drew two penalties in this game, Nugent Hopkins, and uh, took one himself on a kind of an unlucky play where he wheeled and his stick got caught up between a guy's feet. That was one that I think that would have been a penalty on any NHL or except except McDavid. If that had been McDavid got tripped like that, they probably wouldn't have called it, but anybody else. And they sure did call it there. Anyway, that's just me being bitter. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, Yamamoto, early in the game, I had a bad feeling. Like, Drysaddle set him up on the slot twice, in like the first two shifts. And one time, uh, he, he shot late and he shot wide. 
And the second time, the, the whole play was one time where if he shot right away, he had a good chance, and he double-clutched. And by the time he did let it fly, a uh, defenseman was in the lane and blocked the shot. And I'm thinking, you got to get at least one shot on net out of those two chances, Kyler. Uh, but he more than made up for that with uh, uh, a couple of big plays uh, later in the game. Uh, one where he made the play along the boards, got it to dry settle on the Nuge goal. Got a well-deserved assist for that. And then, of course, on the game winner, where uh, he made the breakout pass to uh, Dreisaitl in the first place and then skedaddled down the ice uh, and into the slot. And when Dreisaitl fed him uh, the rolling pass through the slot, out of the blue, there's the one-timer I'd been crying for earlier, just overpowered Bennington right from the center slot, high and up and in. 28 seconds to go. What a time to uh, to unleash a shot like that and uh, win the game for the team. And that's got to be a huge confidence boost for this kid, I think, to score, not only score a goal, but to score such a big goal at such a big time. And, you know, a legitimate sniper's goal, not not one where, you know, he got to bounce and close to the net, but he just let fly with a shot and beat a high-quality NHL goalie with the game on the line. Good on him. Uh, so... Uh, both of them, I mean, that whole line, I thought they were terrific. And they were the one Oilers line that dominated the shot shares. They had the puck in, in uh, St. Louis's end for the most part. And uh, uh, all three of them were, were major contributors to the win. Yeah, Yamamoto only has four points in 14 games, eh? Like that's, uh, I don't think he's played poorly. He's been his usual outstanding self on defense. He's been a bit snake bitten on the attack. Like he's got to get better at shooting. Tonight he, he tonight he got better, so maybe this will help his confidence. I mean, he, he has been scoring more recently, and um, yeah, I I like the player. I mean, he keeps yeah. playing like that. Bruce, the others are going to have a hard choice here coming up. They uh, they got these two wingers to sign Pliyarvi and and Yamamoto. That's a worry for another day, though. A worry for another day. Um. Uh, oh yeah, my second good thing. That's where we are. I'm going to go with Zach Hyman. Mm-hmm. He, um, I just, I, he's such a great two-way hockey player and he just had another outstanding game. He makes possible the dynamite line, uh, being re- reunited like that because he gives McDavid a, a just a fantastic winger. Same with Pugliarvi. I mean, McDavid's not in, in wanting for wingers anymore, right? When he when he's not with Leon Dreisaitl, he's got Zach Hyman and Yessa Pugliarvi. A lot of NHL centers would kill for those two kind of wingers, you know. You're going to make a lot of money playing with that, those two kind of wingers. They, they get the job done. And Hyman certainly did, you know. Perhaps the key to the game was the order scoring with uh, five seconds left in the first period. Yeah, and be- Hyman just... He just whips down the, the wing hard, takes the puck hard uh, outside wide and makes a great pass, quick pass into the slot, which McDavid uh, cashes in. So that was his best play of the night. And his second play, best play, was well, he had a lot of good plays, but uh, uh, another good play was his screen on Dreisaitl's goal. I mean, I don't know if that puck goes in the net if he's not in front. You know, of course, mm-hmm. it's his job and he's supposed to be there, but he did his job. He wasn't off to the side. Mm-hmm. He was right there in front, and um, and he's a typical. It was a typical smart play. Like he knows how to play hockey. That guy's a smart hockey player. The Edmonton Oilers are damn lucky to have him because he's good. So I'm glad he chose Edmonton. 
you know, people, people have wondered about the McDavid dividend, you know, when, when, you know, good players would come here on value contracts. Well, we don't know in the long run how Hyman's contract's going to run, run, but at, at the price he's, get, he's uh, getting paid this year, I mean, we, this is it. This is what we were hoping to see a really good player choose Edmonton yeah. and uh, Zach Hyman did it. And it's where the Euler, Euler fans are the beneficiaries of it. So, yeah, he had no shots tonight. The puck was bouncing on him a bit, but he made his presence felt in other ways. He, he won a lot of puck battles. He was in good position a lot. He made good passes. He set, pulled the RV up for one real good chance. He had, uh, you know, a few nice uh, uh, efforts on the playmaking side. And there was one play, this would be worth a good thing of it's in its own right on a, on a different night. The last shift of the game after the Oilers had the lead and they had 28 seconds to kill. And I'm thinking the way the Blues have been setting up shop in Edmonton's end, this could be a long 28 seconds. Well, Leon won the draw and then uh, McDavid won one battle to get the puck deep in the territory and Hyman won a battle and Drysaddle won two battles. And they just kept turning aside the St. Louis breakout before they could even get above the hash marks in their own end. All three of them were just all over the puck. And by the time St. Louis got a hold of it, there was like four seconds left and the whole length of the ice to go and no chance. And that was just uh, just a brilliant way to, to end it. That uh, uh, all three of their star forwards really delivered the goods on that sequence. No shots for Hyman, but we tracked him as having um, four major contributions to grade A chances, all passes. So that's a good game for a forward if you... You're in on four, yeah, yeah, uh, four, and that was at uh, even strength, the plus the goalie screen. Bruce, what's your bad thing? Well, I'm going to not single out, but maybe sex tuple out Evenden's defense. I, I just, I wasn't too thrilled with their defensive play inside their own zone. I thought they were getting beaten to positions. But they were losing battles along the walls. They were getting beaten to the inside positions in the slot. And that, that was a big part of the reason that uh, St. Louis was able to generate as many high-quality chances as they did, was that Edmonton's uh, defensive group uh, was unsuccessful in, uh, in um, containing them and keeping them to the outside. Um, and I just thought... Collectively, as a group, they had a pretty rough night. And uh, the top two pairings, I thought, were really in, in tough uh, on the penalty kill, too. Like the St. Louis power play, I mean, they're really good. And they yeah. had the puck whipping around really well. But uh, once they got it into the inside positions, they, they were, um, you know, they were they were uh, beating Edmonton's defense uh, either with the passes or you know, getting getting to the spots to get the shots away on net, and I just thought it was a kind of a soft game for the for them collectively as a group. And uh, even the third pairing, I thought Chris Russell he got burned on a cross ice pass on the four three goal, I think it was. And you know, I mean, normally he makes that play, and tonight there were just plays that they didn't make, and. I'll be commenting on the individual players in the in the game grades that'll be posted right away. But uh, uh, for the purposes of this short podcast, I'll just say the group as a whole had a tough time with that uh, with the uh, 
uh, type of game that St. Louis presented. And actually, it does make me a little nervous of having to play matchup against certain types of teams. But we'll, we'll see how they respond to that and what uh, Jim Playfair and Dave Tippett um, come up with to uh, to maybe improve that. Yeah, I... I will say this was the first game that I thought Chris Russell looked like his old self. Like I thought he played, that was the one major mistake he made and it was a big one. It led, it led to a goal against, but I thought he otherwise was stronger this game than he had, he had been this season. He hadn't looked like Chris Russell to me even Mm -hmm. this year. He's been kind of slow and not particularly effective on defense. So that was a, a rough play, but I thought otherwise he was actually pretty good. He looked like Chris Russell, who's a, you know, a really strong defensive player. And I wish he had been out there on the PK more than Keith. Keith struggled a bit on the PK yeah, and struggled at even strength defensively. I thought Cody CC was stronger, the stronger of that pair again. Like Cody CC was okay, but Bouchard and Nurse had their struggles. Keith had his struggles. So and Tyson Berry, you know, he he tends to have struggles now and then too. Um, although they, he wasn't the main culprit tonight, it was Keith who uh, had the most struggles of all on defense. Bruce, my bad thing um, relates to that defensive play. And uh, it's a 4-4 game and minute left and St. Louis gets a five alarm chance right in the slot, Ryan O'Reilly. And uh, it starts, the sequence of pain starts off with Duncan Keith uh, bobbling the puck behind the net, which usually isn't a problem with him. He's usually pretty good with the puck loses the puck and then so his Keith's former man that he, Keith was on that was on Keith takes the puck takes it behind the net and of course CeCe moves to him and is unable to contain the pass out into the slot goes right to uh, O'Reilly and yes Apuliarvi had been formally covering the slot but it just he, for some reason he decided to abandon that and that that meant CC and Keith had no help down low in the slot. There was no one in the slot for the, for the Oilers. Pulley RV was the last man there. So I'm blaming him. Like if you're, if you have that position, just stay there. You know, that's where they're going to score from. They're not going to almost always. So if you're there, that's your job. And he didn't do that. He, he vacated it. And, uh, that led to this incredible, chance which uh cost can again save the team's bacon with a great save so that's my that's my bad thing all three forwards were kind of on the wrong side of the puck but i tend to agree with you that poliarvi was maybe the guy who had been in the best position to do something about that and there was a whether it was a miscommunication or what have you leaving uh the consmite trophy winner alone in front of the minute left in the tie game in regulation is not usually a formula for success. They got away with it because Koskinen came up with the big stop. But you sure don't like to see that. A goal against there is, a, is a, you know, an absolute disaster. Oh, you know, it would have been very sinks the whole Sinks the whole road trip if they, if they yeah. lose and don't even get a point out of that game with a two-goal lead in the third period. And so... Uh, <clears throat> It was a nervous moment, to say the least, but uh, thankfully the big netminder uh, stood tall. What's your number, Bruce? Yeah, I got to go with the number one, 
And I got four of them, and they all came in an eight-second span in the second period. Ryan Nugent Hopkins' first goal of the year, set up by Kyler Yamamoto's first assist of the year. And then eight seconds later, and even bigger uh, in important ways, Ryan McLeod with his first goal of his career, first NHL goal. Congratulations to you, Ryan McLeod. And a nice finish it was, too, jumping on a on a uh, – well, we'll call it a pass from Ryan Fogel. <laughs> and uh, whatever it was, the puck came from Fogel back into the slot, and McLeod just pounced on it and didn't think twice. He just, on the backhand side, no less, pounded a one, one-timer one past uh, Bennington and into the uh, upper reaches of the net. Uh, and Kyle Turris on that same play, he got his first assist of the year. And he made a nice play on that sequence. In fact, the two goals were kind of similar. In each case, the guy made a good play just inside the blue line to keep the puck in, got it down low, and it went low to high, and the goal scorer quickly whipped it home. So there were certainly things in common between the two goals. Not identical, but but similar. And what was similar about both was that each guy who scored had his first of the year, and the guy that got the second assist, that was his his first uh, apple of the year. So there was a lot of a lot of firsts dispensed with in an eight-second span. So it was kind of nice to see all those bubbles being burst in rapid succession like that, and especially Ryan McLeod. Good on you, Ryan. Versus, if, there's, if there's ever an opening for the chief numerologist of the Edmonton Oilers, I know the guy who will, who will be first in line for that job. Uh, Fogel's pass was a, you know, kind of like Magic Johnson there, you know. Fake him out. Look one way past the other. Mm-hmm. Make, it, make uh, it look like you're making a backhand shot. Really suck the goalie in. Make him play the backhand shot, but but craftily lift your stick so that you don't actually touch the puck while it goes to your teammate who pounds it into the net. Yeah. We nice haven't play. seen that kind of brilliance in passing since Andre Lacroix was patrolling. Very, very deceptive player, Warren Fogel. Who yeah. Knew? He is sneaky, <laughs> sneaky good. My number, Bruce, is, you know, I'm a big dynamite fit line aficionado. And um, so at even strength, they, they were on for the one goal against and And, um, you know, they were culprits some, some, some degree or another on that goal against. But um, they really played well tonight. It was the first time I think we've seen the dynamite line since 2019-20, actually. Um, firing on all cylinders. Yeah, it were. takes, you know, mid-season form. I guess is uh, we, you know, we never really had that, and they're starting to get towards mid-season form now. They look like that tonight. They were really playing well, reading each other well, working together well. And if we can see more of that, Bruce, that'll be fantastic for the Edmonton Oilers. If this line can get going again and produce like it did with with what we have on McDavid's line. This is going to be a special hockey team. It already is doing pretty well. <laughs> anyway, Drysaddle was in at even strength, nine grade A, major contributions to nine grade A chances, which is out of this world good. Beautiful. It's out of this world good. Um, Yamamoto was in on six, which is his, I'm um, easily his high for the season, I believe, and Nuge was in on four. So um, I just, yeah, the way they work together, read the game together, uh, play together, it, it's a real hockey line. And I think deserving of a nickname in that regard, because uh, when they're going like that, I don't know if there's another line in the NHL quite like it. So I'm hoping to see more of that. 
And I, with that, I guess, Bruce, uh, unless you have something, anything, any thoughts, final thoughts, or? Just going to add that Nuge also had that great score, a short-handed chance. He did. Well, right? Good point. All righty, Bruce. Well, we'll let you go. You got to finish off the game grades and you get, get a good yeah, night's rest. That might cure the throat, so. Yeah, it's weird. It's been two years. Um, anyway. We managed to power through the podcast. I hope people were able to hear me okay, and I apologize. There's obviously not much I can do about it. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but at least we can laugh because uh, the good guys came out with the win at the end of the night in a very, certainly you can say entertaining and uh, almost throbbing game. It was, there was a lot of action. And scoring chances in that game was tough to track. They were coming thick and fast. Yeah, it took a long time to work through that game. Thanks for talking tonight, Bruce. Oh, we think your screen's frozen there. All right, we're going to go with a little Dynamite Line tribute song here, Bruce. Little Dynamite Line tribute song. I don't know how this is going to come across, but. Whenever the Dynamite Line scores, they should play this song at Rogers Place. Sounds good. The way they play tonight, it's going to happen pretty often. Yeah. Goal each. Wonder how often they all three scored in the same game. Alrighty, that's our experiment in. We'll leave it there. Thanks, Bruce. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone.